Good morning, Life Center. Happy Easter. Man, y'all look good. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad Jesus is here. Without him and without this day that we celebrate, there's no point to what we do because it would be empty. So I'm grateful for the presence of God. I'm grateful that we can come together, we can worship him, and we can enjoy his presence together. Amen? Amen. 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 So I want to say welcome to everybody that's here. I want to say uh, we are live on Facebook for the first time. So uh, hopefully this Sunday and every Sunday thereafter will be live on Facebook. So if you have to miss church for any reason, you can still come to church. If you have friends and family in different states that want to go to church, they can still come to church. Is that cool? That's cool. So we welcome you here. If you're watching on Facebook, we're glad you're here too. Centro Navita, we're glad that you're here too. There we go. Something. Give me something. I'm glad everybody's here. And it, this is Easter Sunday. We put out extra chairs, squeeze together, give somebody a seat next to you so they can be comfortable and they can hear, hear the word of the Lord and we can enjoy the presence of God together. So we are ending our series today, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Uh, week one of this series, Pastor Andrew spoke about Jesus' commitment and the, uh, to the process of our redemption, and last week I detailed the crucifixion, and I was surprised that the number of people that I found out really didn't know what happened in the crucifixion, didn't know what that looked like, didn't know the details of what Jesus went through, and we talked about that in depth last week. And today we're going to discuss nothing else but the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. So today, the end of blood, sweat, and tears, and it's like a Star Wars title, it's a new hope. Who remembers New Hope? Star Wars fans, anybody? All right, I'm not. You don't like basketball. You don't like Star Wars. I'm beginning to question our relationship a little bit. That's okay. I still love you, and so does Jesus. So we ended last week, and, and Jesus had been crucified, and, and he was dying at that point when we, when we stopped last week. When he died... The sky was dark in the middle of the day. I said last week when he was born, a star lit up the sky and it became like daylight. And when he died, the sky went dark and it became like night. There was an earthquake. When Jesus died, there was an earthquake. Dead saints were even walking the streets. Jesus' death was a big deal. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he's still on the cross at this point, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Can you imagine this scene? Uncle Joe, who, who was a, a, a good, faithful servant of God, had been dead for a few years. And Jesus died, and Uncle Joe shows up at the door. It's like the walking dead, literally. Literally. Not a zombie, but resurrected to life because Jesus had died. That's a, there's, there's so much in this story that I'm going to gloss over today because I don't have three hours, and you don't want me to take three hours. Because I am the only thing standing between you and dinner with your family. 
I completely understand and embrace that. I have the same thing going on. But when, when Jesus died, people that were in their tombs, people that were dead, they resurrected and they walked the streets. That in itself would freak so many people out. Imagine in our world today if that happened. It would be like the apocalypse. It would be something crazy and crazy stuff going on. No thank you. But let's go back to the beginning of verse 51. The curtain or the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And why mention this and what does it mean? In the temple, in the Old Testament, when the temple traveled and, and, and the Ark of the Covenant was in this place called the Holy of Holies, and the only person that could go in there where the Ark was, where the Spirit of God was, represented God himself, was the priest. I mean, if you, if you went in there, you were going to die, an average person. That's just how powerful and how awesome and how secluded and sacred the presence of God was. And, and, and that spirit was in the ark and was in the Holy of Holies, and, and, and a, a veil separated that space from everybody else. And when Jesus died, that big, thick, heavy veil that separated the presence of God from the general public spontaneously by itself ripped from top to bottom. So what, what what's that mean for us it just means that every one of us, now, we have, no longer do we have to go to a priest or somebody else to talk to Jesus for us. We have access to walk in and speak to God whenever we choose. We have complete, unfettered access to the presence of God. This is the hope that Jesus brought. This is what his death meant for us, but not just his death. This is what his resurrection meant for us. Because if Jesus had died and, and was never heard from again, then all the things that he talked about, all the things that he promised would just be empty words. They would just be another guy that came claiming all these things and said he was this and he was that and he did this and maybe he had some tricks up his sleeve and maybe he was an, an illusionist, whatever. All kinds of things could have been said about who he was and what he claimed and, and what he was reported to have done if he had not finished what he started. But because he rose again, he was different. And what Jesus did gave us a direct access, a direct path to heaven. We can access God directly. Nobody else has to do it for us. Jesus was our sacrifice to make this happen. And after being pronounced dead, Jesus was taken off the cross. His body was treated. He was wrapped in grave clothes and he was buried in a tomb. The Bible says there was a stone rolled in front of the entrance of the tomb. Jesus was in the tomb for three days or 72 hours. And after three days, as he promised, Jesus got up, the stone moved, and he left. That's just, that's a very simplified version of what really happened. But Jesus got up, resurrected himself, and he left. And there's a lot I can go into right here. Again, I don't have the time to do all of this justice, but justice. But I could talk about when Jesus appeared to who and, and how many people, how they reacted and, and all this. But I want to go back to the period that he was dead for a minute. I want to pause for a minute to talk about the 72 hours and what it meant for the people closest to him. Jesus' disciples had just spent the last three, three and a half years of their life following him 
around from place to place. They watched him do amazing miracles. And if, if you had the privilege of being one of the people that followed Jesus closely, you have to imagine seeing him raise people from the dead, heal, heal sick people, take a, a basket lunch and feed thousands of people, miracle after miracle, impacting life after life. You would have to think they would start developing plans around this man. Because if you're in the inner circle of Jesus Christ and you see all these things and you get to participate and you get to even do some of those things, you would want to stay there. You'd want to stay in that position and you'd want to plan your life around that. Well, after we do this, man, it's going to be Jesus' greatest hits tour and we're going to go out you know, farther around and we're going to see great things happen. And, and think about it. That's how that works. When you have an attraction like that, it draws people. And the more people get drawn to it, the more the people in the inner circle like it. So they had to be playing their life around this. And they were experiencing the presence of God in a way they had never even thought about. So when Jesus died, imagine the shock and imagine the awe they had to feel. Imagine the letdown, the disappointment, the anguish, the, the fear. How about that? Because Jesus, while he was wildly popular, wasn't popular. People loved him. The religious people hated him. So while he, while he was a rock star, he was chased and he was, he was pursued and he was, they tried to trip him up and trick him. So you had this, this mixed bag and, and with Jesus dead, they were targets. They were targets. So those 72 hours had to feel pretty hopeless. They still believed that Jesus was going to set up a kingdom on earth. They didn't understand all the ins and outs of what was happening. But they, for all they knew, their dreams were dead. What they had hoped for, what they had been promised. I'm sure they felt like the rug had been pulled out from under them. Has anybody ever felt that way? You had plans going on. You had dreams. You had promises from people. And then all of a sudden, it was gone. The rug pulled out. And you didn't know what was going on. You didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold. You didn't know how things were going to turn out. They felt lost. They felt hopeless. They felt disappointment. They felt pain. Jesus was gone, so that meant hope was gone, right? Jesus was gone, so hope was gone. And then early in the morning on the first day of the week, Mary came to finish the burial process with more spices. And in John chapter 20, the Bible says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple who Jesus loved and, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. They've taken him out of the tomb. She thought grave, grave robbers had, had come and snatched him out. We don't know where they put him. So Jesus and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over. He looked at the... Because Jesus was gone. I, I, I wouldn't willingly walk into a tomb, would you? So the picture is he, he leaned over and he looked into the tomb to see what was going on. He didn't go in. He saw those strips of linen lying there but didn't go in. Simon Peter came and he's a different personality. He's going to go in. He's the one who walked on water. He's the one that cut the soldier's ear off. He's going to go in the tomb. So he did. 
He saw the cloth was still lying in his place, separated from the linen. And if, if you do some, I don't have time to talk about this, but if you do some research on the Shroud of, of Turin, you're going to find out that a few years ago that they took that cloth that still exists and they made a 3D model of what, they, of what where basically where the sweat and the blood soaked into that cloth. They made a 3D model of the body of Jesus. It's pretty cool. You should, re, you should read about it. So finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still didn't get it. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. They saw it. They saw he was gone. And they went back to where they were staying. Hopeless. Dejected. Fearful. Dreams shattered. A hot mess. And all I knew now was Jesus' body was gone. I saw this this week on social media. I, I forget who posted this, but it really impacted and it fits. It said, darkness fell. His friends scattered. Hope seemed lost. But heaven just started counting to three. How, how cool is that? Darkness fell. Hope seemed lost. Friends scattered. But heaven just began to count to three. The people who had been following him so closely didn't understand what this was, and it was, it was just a short pause in the plan that God had, but it felt like devastation for them. Not just to them, but for them. And this, this brief pause in God's plan wasn't just for them either. It was for all of humanity going forward. Because of the entirety of this weekend, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. We have hope. Because Jesus' blood, sweat, and tears, we have hope. Jesus is our hope. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, began like this in 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Describing Jesus. Titus chapter 2, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. He is our what? He's our hope. I'm glad you're here today because you need to hear this because somebody, I, somebody, Nearly everyone in this room is going through something. And if you're not going through something, you probably just came through something. Or maybe you're getting a brief break before you go back into something. Wherever you are, you're either in it, came out of it, or you're about to go back into it. So I'm, I'm glad you're here to hear this today. Maybe you're here on this day of celebration where everybody looks great, smells great, we're going to have great food, but you're not feeling very festive. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you're, you're in the, the middle of the darkest time of, of your life. Maybe you've lost someone you love. Maybe you've experienced some loss in your life that's really rattled you. It's, it's shaking your cage and you're, you're questioning who you are and, and where you're going and what's going on in your life. Maybe you feel like the hope and promise of your life are slipping away. Maybe you have dreams and you feel like that they just aren't going to happen. Or somebody has spoken some words over you and somebody's prayed some words over you and they're words of promise, they're words of hope, but they haven't happened yet. 
Maybe all those things are true. Maybe you think that at this point, because they haven't happened yet, that somebody's words that were prayed over you were just a mistake, or maybe they, maybe they just messed up. Maybe it was meant for somebody else. Will you please believe with me that none of those things are true? Will you please believe with me that none of those things are true? Your feelings that you feel right now, if you're feeling despair or hopelessness or maybe it's taking too long, those feelings that you feel, your feelings don't have to define you. What you feel right now doesn't have to be who you are long term. Because you're disappointed doesn't mean that you are a disappointment. Just because you failed doesn't mean that you're a failure. The Bible says a righteous man falls down and gets back up. Just because you fall doesn't mean you have to stay where you fell. Get back up and move forward. The Bible tells me that when when the prodigal son had gone off and done his thing and, and been really stupid, that when he came back, his dad was looking for him. He didn't wait for him to knock on the door. He didn't wait for him to walk in the house and then read him the riot act and grill him and say, well, now you have to have this waiting period. His dad was looking for him. He ran down the road to meet him. He kissed him. He put a robe on him. He threw a party for him, and he restored him right then. No questions asked because the son was repentant. That's all it takes. We have hope that when we fall and when we make mistakes, that we can go to our father and repent, and he gives us that treatment. Restoration. And once God allows words of hope to be spoken over us, they are spoken over us, and they are there, and they're not taken away from us. So whatever track you were on before you messed up, whatever track you were on before you took a detour, when God restores you, guess where you are? You're back on that track because his gifts and his callings can't be taken away from you. That's scripture. That's not somebody saying good, warm, fuzzy things to you. The scripture tells us that God's gifts and callings cannot be taken away from us. We can delay them, but they cannot be taken away. So don't believe those things when you feel hopeless. Don't believe those those words and those thoughts when you feel like it's not going to happen because it will happen. When Jesus' followers were, were sad and hopeless, there was a master plan working in the background they just couldn't see. And they couldn't understand. Darkness fell. Hope seemed lost. People scattered. But heaven was just counting to three. It was a countdown. It wasn't, you're not going to have this. It wasn't, this is not who you are. It wasn't, your dreams will never come true. It wasn't, you can't be more than what your parents were. Or your uncle. Or your, your, your weird cousin. None of that applied. It was just a pause in the plan of God for three days that may have felt dark. It may have felt hopeless, but the promise was coming in a bigger way than they could even imagine. It was going to go out of this little localized area to the world, and that's exactly what happened. Darkness fell. Hope seemed lost, but heaven was just counting to three. I want you this week, when something slaps you in the face... And you're wondering, what in the world is going on? This is not who I am. I didn't mean, I don't, I did this, but this is not who I want to be. Or somebody tells you, you're not going to be this. Somebody tells you, you can't do this. Or it seems like it's never going to happen. I want you to use those words. Darkness fell. 
Hope seemed lost. But heaven is counting to three. Because if you stay that course, the time limit on your despair is going to end. And you're going to be walking in the steps that God has ordered for you. And your, his plan for your life will be manifest. It will happen. The next phase of God's plan will be revealed in your life if you don't stop. If you don't give up, it will happen. Because he loved, he gave his blood, his sweat, his tears. But he also gave his life so we could have hope. So we could have hope. Because he loved, he gave. We sang this song today, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love in Jesus prompted action all the way to the cross and the resurrection. Because he loved, he gave. Because he loved, he did. That's the action that love caused. Love drove him to the cross. He didn't go because he wanted to. When he was in the garden, he prayed, Father, if it, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not what I want. I want your will to be done. He didn't want to do what he did, but love drove him to that place of sacrifice. Love drove him to that place of commitment. Because we love, we give. You love your kids, if you have kids. And you give to your kids. You give your kids everything that you are and everything that you have. Because we love, we give. Because we love, we do. Jesus gave himself for us. And because of that, we give ourselves to him. He gave himself for us and we give ourselves to him. The writer of Romans believed, believed to be Paul started the letter off like this, Romans 12 and 1. I beseech, NIV says, urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, I would do you a disservice if I just told you that God had great things for you and you're going to walk in daisies and tulips and just sent you out here expecting the magic of God to open up in your life. And it can. But it happens because he gave himself for us so we give ourselves to him. It's our reasonable service. Paul said it was our reasonable service. Why? Because he loved, he gave. Because we love, we give. Basically, let's put it in, in more common terms. In light of what Jesus has done for us, considering the lengths that he went to so we could be redeemed, so we could have hope, so we could have eternal life, based on all of that, it only makes sense for us to, let's go back to week one, and commit and dedicate our lives to Jesus Christ, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, thereby growing his kingdom. You're not selling soap. You're offering people salvation. You're a hope dealer. <laughs> You're a hope dealer because you have the hope 
You have the eternal hope of Jesus Christ in your life. So why not share the hope that you have and the love and the grace and the mercy that you've experienced? Why not share that with everybody that you know? Because everybody deserves the same chance that you have. Everybody deserves the same opportunity, the same forgiveness that you have experienced, the same joy, the same freedom, everything that God has given you because Jesus died for you. All those things, those wonderful gifts that have been given to you, your neighbor that mows onto your lawn and makes you mad, (laughs) deserves that. Your sibling that drives you nuts deserves that. The dude that cuts you off in traffic that you want to do sign language with (laughs) deserves the hope that you have. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. I knew if I got real and if I'd evoke some emotion from somebody, we know what road rage feels like. The worst thing you can do when somebody does that and they're, and they're just they're screaming, they're sign language and you out the door is smile and wave. Just do that. It may, be, it may be tough to do, but it's satisfying at the end. Because it sets them off in ways that you cutting them off didn't do. See, that's wrong. And that's when we have to pray and repent and ask God to forgive us for our attitude and our spirit. But they deserve the same love that you have. They deserve the same forgiveness and grace that you have. We are hope dealers. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. We cannot earn salvation. You can't earn salvation, but this is the least that we can do. We can never be good enough. But just from our gratitude and our heart and our love, we can commit our life to Christ just because of gratitude and love for what he's done for us. We've been asking the question recently around here, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Love required Jesus to go to the cross. See, love's going to require different things of different people. Love required Jesus to go to the cross and sacrifice himself for us. Does it require us to physically crucify ourselves? No. Paul did say that I die daily. And that means I'm giving up who I am daily. That means I am repenting of what I have done that opposes God's word daily. Love does require us to present ourselves to Christ, to surrender to him. Love does require us to be holy and acceptable. Scripture says that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We are in the world, but we don't behave like everyone in the world does. I don't live by society's norms, but I live by the word of God. I obey the laws of the land because Scripture says to, but I don't act like every nut job in the world. If you, we, we, we read Romans 12 and 1 about, about presenting ourselves to God, but Romans 12 2 says to not be conformed to the pattern of the world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so we can prove what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is in our life. That means I I allow God to transform my thinking because it doesn't make sense to forgive somebody who's really hurt me. It doesn't make sense to love my neighbor like I love myself because I love me a lot. It doesn't make sense to forgive somebody 490 times in a day. 
But that's what scripture says to do. I have to be trans my life will be transformed when I when I stop thinking like society thinks and I think like the word of God teaches me to think. When I live by what God has has set forth in, in scripture, I love, I forgive, I give, and I seek God first. Love requires us to be concerned about the people around us. Love requires us to help people who need it. So let me ask you this question. Don't answer out loud. Where are you on this Easter Sunday? Not physically. I know where you are physically. Where are you on this Easter Sunday? Is it, if all is well in your world, that's fabulous. It's awesome. Look for somebody to help. Because you came through what you came through for a reason. And now you can find somebody who's going through what you've already conquered and you can help them along. That's what love requires of us. It requires us to help people around us that are experiencing what we've already come through. That's what love requires. If you're struggling today, if you need hope, we have that. We have that. If your world is dark, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like the, the things that you're working so hard for are never going to happen, if you feel like the words prayed or spoken of you will just never happen because maybe you've been too bad, maybe you've done too many crazy things in your life, maybe you feel like you've stepped over the line and you can't come back, maybe you feel like you're just not up to the task, whatever your feelings or emotions are, they don't have to define you. If your world is dark, understand that maybe, sim maybe heaven is just simply counting to three. Maybe it's just a pause where you have to gather yourself and endure something for a minute so you can relate to somebody else. Because if everything just came easy to us, if everything was just perfect, we would have contempt for people who struggled. Think about that. If you never faced addiction in your life, if you never, if you never faced something that, that really just bothered you, that you really couldn't, whatever it is, you just can't seem to get past it. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your spirit. Maybe, you, maybe you're addicted to shopping. I don't know. Maybe you're addicted to Big Macs, McDonald's Cokes. We just, Taylor and I just went to the doctor every week for almost four months with her concussion. And every time we saw the doctor, he's cool, he's awesome, he's a sports therapist, and we came out and went to the desk to schedule our next appointment. Every day without fail, the woman in the desk had a McDonald's Coke. It didn't matter if it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. She had a McDonald's Coke every single day. Maybe that's her thing. I don't know. But if we didn't struggle with things, if we didn't struggle with whatever, we would have contempt for those who did. The Bible said that Jesus went through what he went through. He was tempted at all points just like we are. Why? So he would know how we feel. The Bible said we have a high priest that is touched with our feelings, that he understands what we feel because he was tempted just like we are. But the difference is he didn't give in. And because of that, Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? You will have trouble. But don't freak out. Don't be scared. Don't lose your faith just because it's dark, just because you have a feeling of hopelessness. He said, because I have overcome the world. Let's stand together. Psalm 20 and 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses.
I think this is probably the scripture I remember, I remember most, I think, out of all my father-in-law's preaching. He used this scripture a lot. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Let's say it like this. Some hope in people. Some hope in a nation. And I love our country, but it's a blip on the radar. Don't take that wrong. In God's grand scheme, we are a blip on the radar. Some hope in a nation, some hope in the military, some hope in politicians, and some hope in money. But we will hope in the name of the Lord our God. That puts it, we don't trust in horses and chariots unless you're a better and you like derby season and preakness season. Then you might trust in horses, I don't know. But back then, they trusted in horses and chariots. But now we trust in our nation. We trust in politicians. We trust in law enforcement. We trust in the military, all that stuff. We trust our money, right? We trust all those things. But where we really need to put our hope is not in those things because those things will pass away. Our eternal hope needs to be in Jesus Christ because he is our hope. And he is our promise. And because of what he did, because he died, because he was buried, because he resurrected himself from the dead, we have hope. And we have the promise of a better tomorrow. We have a promise of a better life right now because Jesus said, I came so you can have life and have it how? More abundantly. And we have the hope of not just right now feeling better, but we have the hope that we will be with him in heaven for eternity. Where does it start? Where to start with Jesus in the garden? He came to a place where he had to make a decision. This is what I'm going to do. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Just be, in light of what he did, just, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know, you don't have to know everything. Just commit your life to him. And let him guide you through the process. Let him guide you through your life, helping you, giving you a better tomorrow, giving you a better today with a hope for eternity. That's what this is all about. And when you experience this love and this promise, you're going to want to share it with your neighbor who gets on your nerves, your crazy uncle, all those people, because you know that what you have, everybody needs. Don't believe the negativity in your dark moments. Don't hold on to what somebody says about you negatively. Because people hurt people hurt people. Understand that. Hurt people hurt people. And we're all hurting at, at some level. At some, some way about something, we're, we've all been hurt. So if somebody lashes out at you and somebody speaks words that you're never going to change, or there's no hope for you, don't, don't hold on to that. Let it go. If your moment is dark right now, hold on. Because light will come, change will happen. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. Because he died, because he resurrected, we have hope that we will get better. And I promise you, we get to take a sneak peek at the back of the book that, that no one in the Bible had. We get to see that we win. We just got to hold on until we do. Amen. Enjoy time with your family. Have a great week. Happy Easter.